Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, December the 13th. Happy Advent to all of you. For me, I don't know about you, but I feel just a little more joyful as yesterday we lit the joy candle. As I had a number of people wearing pink, it was a day we lit that candle. Unfortunately, I don't have a pink uh, chasuble or anything, so I didn't have that, or rose, I should probably say. But we joyfully gathered around the word yesterday as we saw rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that's the same way we come to the Lord's word today, that we gather around the inspired and true word of God, and we see Christ road in the wilderness. And I love how we've been focusing our attention. First of all, the kingdom of God is at hand, is our focus. But also to realize this, that God's reign is still true today, that Christ is the perfect Israel. And so today, that's another filter for us to think about, is that Christ is a perfect Israel. What Israel did not do, Christ has. And obviously that points us all the way back to Christ. For today, as we dig into God's word, remember that the gifts are ready ready for you. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word today, we have the joy of welcoming Pastor Terry Forkey, District President of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Forkey, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. Great to be with you. President Forkey, this is our, it's a joy to have you. It's an honor to have you. Um, this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. Um, can you spend a few moments introducing yourself and your service to the Lord in the Montana District? Yes, I'm a husband of a lovely wife, Cheryl, and uh, we have five children, 12 grandchildren. Um, I've been in Montana my entire career, so 10 years at one dual parish, 13 years at another single congregation, and now 16 years as district president. Um, very thankful that God has left me in Montana because it's a great place to be, and very thankful that I've uh, been given the the privilege to speak God's word to so many people, and happy to be with you. Uh, it's a, a great joy to talk about Jesus and His word. Well, and 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 so tell us this. I mean, we've had one district president on before, and a little side note: this you are the first um, uh, person, the first pastor from the Montana district to be in the program with me. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But the, and, and Montana's, you know, kind of a unique thing. We're talking prior to our program today. So what does it, what does it mean to be, what do you do as a district president for Montana district? What does that mean? Well, my responsibility as far as the Senate is concerned is to serve the synodical president by representing him in my district and to supervise the work of the proclamation of the gospel in the congregations and schools, and also then to supervise the life and doctrine of the, uh, the members of the synod, that would be the pastors and teachers and um, church workers. And so uh, primarily, at least in my view, I do that through visitation and teaching. And I, I, since it's a small district, I am able to visit my congregations and my schools regularly, uh, according to the Constitution bylaws, uh, every triennium. And uh, also spend uh, time making sure that everybody's uh, okay, surviving through the, the many trials of serving God in this way. Um, and I spend a lot of time on the road because uh, Montana's a pretty big state. Yeah. 
and you, but you can go as fast as you want, right? So you're 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 plowing away at 110 <laughs> miles per hour to get there, or what? Well, that used to be true. It's not true any longer. <laughs> okay. And I didn't do that when I could. Yeah. They, well, thanks be to God for that as well. Uh, and and as a reminder to you, our listeners, that pray for your district president if you are in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or maybe in a different church body, and you have an overseer of sorts for your congregations. Pray for him. Pray for the the work that he does. There's a lot of uh, time on the road, a lot of time visiting, maybe some difficult situations, but many joys as well. Pray for him, his family, and for the work of, like he said so well, the proclamation of the gospel in that place. So, Pastor, as we pray for you. Can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings um, in prayer? Wonderful. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you give to us every day. We pray that you would give us thankful hearts to recognize those gifts and receive them with thanksgiving. Chiefly, are we bound to praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who in today's Word we learn of Him as the very Word of God, um, who fulfills that Word for us in order that we might be received as your children. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts, strengthen our faith always by the power of your word and fulfill in us your will so that we may receive your kingdom and live with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today or any part of Matthew, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, we are on the right at the right. We're right next to the great um, proclamation of Jesus' baptism. We hear the God the Father speak, and then we come to chapter four, and everything has a context. So, how do you how do you want to begin us out this morning so we can start off on the right foot in chapter four? Yes, I I I'm glad you said it that way because I think it's very important to set the Matthew four, the temptation of Jesus, in the context of the baptism of Jesus. Um. Uh, it, in this baptism, Jesus is um, revealed for who he is as the Son of God up until this time, uh, really not known, that is, not known to the spirit world. That's significant in this context. So why does Matthew um, put the temptation of Jesus right after the baptism and, and then right before the beginning of his ministry? It is very significant. Jesus is revealed, and essentially, according to the presentation of Matthew and Luke as well, uh, upon the revelation of Jesus, all hell breaks loose, so to speak. Because if you look at it from the perspective of the devil, who from uh, Genesis uh, has been waiting for the one to be revealed who would crush his head, uh, and you're going to have to you know, put yourself in his shoes, so to speak. He knows that someone's going to crush his head sometime, and every male that is born in the history of the world could have been it. He doesn't know that until Mm. the baptism, when God says, this is the one, this is my son. And so the, uh, the son of God, the one who will crush the head of Satan and redeem all mankind, is now revealed by God's own voice and Satan is Johnny on the spot to make sure that uh, he doesn't get off to a good start, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. So this is you might say this is the first skirmish in the battle, um, where Jesus is revealed as the coming one, and the devil pulls out the weapons of mass destruction from his perspective, 
Uh, but the good news, and, and that's, that kind of completes the context, the good news is that the Word of God prevails. And uh, Satan can't stand, and so he has to, he has to leave him at, at the command of Jesus. He has to leave him. If there ever was a question, so it, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Is there, if there ever was a question of who has more authority, let's just say that that was a debate that was happening among, let's say, high schoolers. I mean, this happens at high schoolers or, or people in general around the table at Thanksgiving. I don't know how this would happen, but you're just talking and go, who, you know, are, are, is Jesus and the devil like of equal power? Matthew 4 right. just throws that under the bus. I mean, there's no way you can be a biblical Christian and act as if that the devil has more authority or a power than our Lord Jesus. And that's what I love about Matthew 4. Any thoughts? Yeah, and on that, I think what's significant is that this presentation focuses the power of Jesus in the Word of God and that he, that he actually is the Word of God. So I would just say that um, Matthew's presentation of the temptation is somewhat of an answer to, or not, not that, you know, not that he's actually trying to do that, but an answer to John chapter one, where John has this marvelous 18 verse poem introducing Jesus as the word of God. But in the temptation, we see the same thing. Here is Jesus. He is the very word of God. That's, that's the power. So here's, I think, I, I think I would want to say this more or less as an introduction. This text often gets preached as sort of a moralizing tendency. Jesus is a model of how to resist Satan. And it certainly is that. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't want to make light of that or any pastor that preaches that. But as, as Matthew presents it, I don't, I don't think that's really what he's trying to do. He is trying to identify Jesus as the very word of God come in the flesh now, the, the powerful victor. So that's the first identity uh, that's here. The second identity of, is Jesus as Israel, but we'll get to that as we get through with the text. But really, this is, who is this guy? He's just revealed by the voice of God, son of God. Now, who is he as the one who is going to work on our behalf? And how does he do that? And that's kind of the temptation to lead us through that. Oh, wonderful. A great way for us to start. Well, I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready to dig in, Pastor? Yep. All right. Yep. So a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Matthew chapter 4. And we're just going to start with the first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want, I want to share this real quickly and then get your first thoughts. Is I, Really, I want to say for most of my life, especially, you know, as a young person into seminary and so forth, if you would have stopped me and say, who led Jesus into the wilderness? I would have almost 100% said the devil. But it doesn't say that. It says the Spirit. So I want to start there just to kind of wet our palate, but how do you want to begin in verse one? Yeah, the, so that is the, that's kind of the second identity. Uh, that is the, the intent here is to make this intimate connection between Jesus and Israel. So, um, and that's fortified by the next verse, the 40 days and 40 nights, of course, Israel, 40 years in the, in the wilderness also. So God leads the people of Israel into the wilderness to test them. So also Jesus is led by the Spirit. Actually, back up a little bit, um, Israel goes through the water, so to speak. Jesus mm -hmm. goes through the water in his <sighs> baptism. 
Jesus, is Israel reduced to one? Um, mm-hmm. This text is just marvelous. It's all over the place. At least in the first, the first temptation is very, very, very clear um, that he is Israel, and he he's here. Well, Israel went into the desert to be tempted, <laughs> and they failed. Um, so Jesus is in the wilderness and tempted, not so much tested. I I, I think. Um, well, we'll see that in the very next, or the third verse, too, that he is actually tempted uh, to disobey the word of God. And uh, so he is Israel, led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. There's a purpose, there's an intent um, that he might fulfill what Israel was incapable. And indeed, all of us are incapable of fulfilling in our wilderness today. And I do think, you know, Pastor Forky is. I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but this was the first time it really became apparent to me, this connection. I, 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 I know, and I believe, teach, and confess that Jesus is the perfect Israel, you know, Israel reduced to one. And, and I've always understood this temptation uh, of Jesus. Obviously, he has a final authority. But usually, I've taught it as, see what Adam and Eve couldn't do? Now Jesus could and for whatever reason, I never connected the dots of wilderness, the number 40, the, like you said, the first temptation pointing us to the Israelites, you know, getting hungry. I mean, the whole thing, I'm kind of embarrassed that I've never made that connection before. So I appreciate you reaffirming that because, well, it, you know, it's true. And so it really was helpful to see that. And through this emphasis you have, which is wonderful because it relates to us, that he is led by the spirit through the waters into the wilderness. And I think that's a way for us to talk, you know, in baptism, we're brought, you know, into the spirit and the Lord throws us out into our vocations to live that Christian life. And he's with us every step along the way. So I, I, it's just a wonderful way for us to start as we interconnect and connect the dots all throughout scripture. Anything else in verse one? Um, yeah, I just want to do make a connection. Um, in verse one with the word tempted in Greek, sometimes translated tested, but certainly the devil is not just, you know, sort of testing to see how strong he is as if you were to test something to see his purity, but tempting, uh, he was trying to get Jesus to do something that he shouldn't have done. And that is, um, um, supported by in verse three, uh, the title that is used of of the devil. So there's actually hmm. three different um, titles that are given to the devil in this text. And in verse three, it is a, I don't want to geek out too much here, but it's a substantive participle. So it means it's a, the one who is tempting. Um, so he is, uh, Satan is, refer- or the devil in this case yet, is referred to as the one who is tempting. So it's the same root word there. Uh, mm. The devil is going to tempt Jesus. So is there is there is there more to that? I mean, maybe that's where I got this um, Adam and Eve connection. I think that's where I really maybe I played with that or ran with that a little more. Like you said, that's important to look at temp. Is there anything more to that? I'm, I'm just trying to think throughout the whole text. Actually, my mind's running a mile a minute now, the things you've said so far. So it, why is that important that we see it as a tempter? And what does that mean? Well, um, I think, I mean, Satan is, 
people often get this misconception of Satan sort of like you started with. And I will say people from my generation um, were mind, um, our minds were kind of trained by, if you're old enough to even know what that is, but people <laughs> in my generation will remember the picture of Donald Duck in the middle and there's a little evil devil on one side and a little uh, angel on the other side. And the impression was that Satan and uh, good and evil, Satan and God were of equal power. That's, you know, that's what the cartoon thought. And that the right. guy in the middle is sort of morally neutral and he has to make the decision. So, so I think this idea that, um, uh, that we're, we're in the middle and we have to make the decision is rolled into this idea about temptation. So, the, the devil is not just trying to see if Jesus is strong, testing him. He's trying to make him say, do live contrary to the word of God. Oh, and okay. so the same thing would be true for us, right? We're not morally neutral. We're <laughs> always inclined towards sin. And Satan is still after that, that same uh, uh, MO. <laughs> He's trying to get us to do something, live contrary to or confess contrary to the to the truth of God's word. That is that is incredibly helpful because you do think about how God tested the Israelites when they're out in the wilderness. So then that almost implies that they're of equal status. You know, mm-hmm. but when it's tempting, his goal is not to see, well, we'll see how they do. No, he wants you, he wants Jesus to deny the word of God. That's his goal. Yep. You know, this is not exactly. for more faithfulness, it's for that. Oh my goodness. This is absolutely wonderful. So, um, like I said, the Jesus is going out like the Israelites. He is Israel reduced to one. He is the perfect Israel, and now he's sent out. So I'm ready to move forward, forward a few verses. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, yep. here we go. Let's go through verses 2 and through 4. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Pastor, you you made a reference to how this first temptation really points us to the Israelites. How so? So, uh, people of Israel, of course, (laughs) obviously hungry many times, and uh, they were... um, not believing that God was going to provide. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of incidents in, in the history of Israel. And so, so this is brought to the forefront again um, by this temptation about bread. And there, there is this connection. I think there is a connection um, in the way Satan deals. Of course, I, you know, he, he's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent, um, but he's pretty smart. And uh, he can do the same thing over and over just to see if it's going to work. So uh, as with Adam and Eve, and there might be a connection that you were thinking of too, as with Adam and Eve, he um, tries to cast doubt on who they are and what God has said. And he does the same thing with, with Jesus as he does with Israel. Are you really the people of Israel? Are you really God's children? You're out here in the desert. He hasn't fed you the way you want to be fed. Um, are you really? And so, we have the tempter, the tempting one, saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God. Um, and that, that is a very interesting little <laughs> phrase there. 
Um, it appears here twi- in this text twice. The other place it appears in Matthew is on the cross, not in the voice of Satan, so to speak, but personified, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Mm-hmm. So again, not really creative, uses the same theme over, but but it's, but he believes that it's going to be effective. Cast doubt on the truth of God's word. So in the context of Jesus here, the truth of God's word is, we just heard it in the baptism, you are my son. And now Satan, the first thing out of Satan's mouth is, if you are. Uh, an unbearable temptation for me. <laughs> uh, I imagine many of your listeners will have the same feeling. Am I really a child of God? Uh, is he really going to provide for me? Is he really going to take care of me? And he will, but Satan's not going to give up on that that temptation. Wow, I'm just trying to catch up with uh, that connection to if you are the son of God and and the, and the connection to the cross. That's another one I haven't, yeah. haven't thought about much either, but that is so telling. Crazy, huh? Oh, my goodness, yeah. yes. And the work of yeah. evil, the work of evil is to to put out there, did God really say, you know, it's Adam and Eve connection again, but also yeah. if you yep. are this, then, right, you'll do this. And you're like, well, wait a second here. Who said these ground rules? Yeah. Okay, it's, go ahead. It's all about the word of God. Did God really say in Genesis? And then it's still coming through beginning of his ministry, if you are, and then at the very end of his ministry, if you are, it's always about that. It, what, is what God said really true? Is it really true? So that brings us, you know, you read through verse four. Yeah. Well, let's just do this then. Uh, it is written. Uh, I think that's how you had it translated. Uh-huh. Yep. It ESV. Yep. Okay. Um, so it's an interesting word and it should just be noted. I mean, it, it's a perfect, it's in a perfect tense. So, um, and the perfect is, uh, again, I'm, Try not to geek out too much here, but the perfect tense generally, you know, something that has happened in the past, completion is fulfilled, still has an effect today. And I think that's why ESV wants to translate it in the present. It is written to indicate the effect is still going on. You could also translate it, it has been written to kind of emphasize, hey, this was done a long time ago and it's and it still is. But here's the kicker. Degrapai uh, is the Greek word. It appears in the New Testament 67 times. 54 times it uh, it introduces direct quotations from the Old Testament. So um, that, I'm, there it is again. This is about the Word of God. It is written, and in the 64 times out of 67, it introduces direct quotations from the Word of God, as it does here in the, in this text, both places. Right. Um, so it is written, the word, it is the very word of God. Interestingly, um, the one other place it appears in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul says, don't go beyond what is written, which is really cool. Another whole sermon, don't have time to do that. And then the other two places it appears is in Revelation. This is, this is kind of mind-boggling. Again, another whole sermon, can't do it here. <laughs> the other two places it appears in Revelation is not, your name is not written, or names names not written in the book of life, which is like, whoa. Yeah. So you go 65 times word of God written, you get to Revelation, your name is not, uh, the names that are not written in the book of life. Right? That's just, 
Anyway, we don't have time for that. But the point in this text is, it is the word of God. And that's what Jesus goes to. When he is tempted, he goes to the word of God. Why? Because he is the word of God. Well, it's again, th- this, is, this is kind of my take on Matthew chapter 4. This is not about, as Matthew presents it, it's not about, or not just about, Jesus as the model of how to resist temptation. It is about who he is. He is the word of God, and he knows it so well. He is immediately able to, to apply the text that needs to be applied to this temptation. It has been written. We, we lived by this. So emphasizing the perfect, it, it has been written. It's been there for, for when I wrote it for us. And this is how we live. And it's so easy to read this. Because I think about, I know I remember studying this when I worked at a camp. You work at camp and, and you're in the, you're, I mean, you're in the, you're in the dog days of summer. And I remember we, we went through this and it's like, okay, all right, here we go. The devil's tempting me. I'm going to use the word of God. Okay. The devil's going to try to use the word of God against me. I'm going to use more word of God. And then you, and, right, right. and clearly they're, they're, that's, that's there. I mean, we're not about to say, no, no, no don't right. use the word of God, but definitely just the, the full picture. This is epiphany almost. I'm almost thinking Matthew four could be epiphany, you know, epiphany, a uh, uh, text. But it, it just, absolutely, it's where it's a, it, yeah, in that way it is because yeah. revealed as the Son of God and now revealed as the Word of God, right? Oh my in goodness, the, in the temptation. That's now, so, so so here, let's just do this. The identity is, is reduced to one again. Um, so the text that Jesus quotes, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God," is a quotation of Deuteronomy eight three. Okay, so Deuteronomy 8.3, where, where does that occur? Well, it's kind of Moses' summary uh, of, you know, what's happened uh, to the people of Israel. And there he says, uh, this is, uh, just give the more context of Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled, uh, Moses speaking to people of God, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know Catch a little play on words there. I love that. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. So once again, there's there's Jesus as Israel, and he makes that connection. <laughs> it's not an accident. He knows he is Israel reduced to one. He knows that he's um, in, uh, now in the temptation. And that the people of Israel wanted something more than this miserable, loathsome manna. And, and, and he goes to Moses saying, God was doing this all the time for one reason. To teach you that you need the word of God. And that's all that you need. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and, and to put it, to put that in Jesus' mouth is just like mind-boggling because Jesus is the one who feeds on the Word because he is the Word. And we'll do the same thing for the other temptations. Jesus is the one who does not test God. Jesus is the one who worships God alone. This is his identity. And so that's why I'm saying this text, at least as I'm presenting it today, is about who is this Jesus as the Word of God. 
So President Forky, uh, we need to take our break, but I want to touch on one more reality on this on the other side of the break about this idea of bread. Because the question is this, well, wait a second, I thought bread wasn't that big of a deal. Gee, by the way, he fed 5,000 people with bread, 4,000 people with bread. What's the problem with bread? But I think you alluded to it. I want to get to it a little bit further. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 4 with Pastor Terry Forkey, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 4 with Pastor Terry Forkey. And we have really, oh man, we're not in the weeds. We are, we are just, I want to say bathing in grace or something. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Just being showered with God's grace right now as we look at Matthew chapter 4. And one question does come to mind that it says, a man should not live by bread alone. And to me, there's a distinction here because you're like, okay, we could easily say, okay, all right, all right. So bread, not good. And this would have been big, what, 20 years ago when you had the low-carb diets? Like, oh, okay, we don't want that. Um, <laughs> and you have other references where Jesus says, you know, he, he feeds 5,000 and 4,000 with bread. So the issue isn't bread. And you said it. I just want to make sure we emphasize it again. So what is the real issue for people? The, the issue isn't bread. What's the issue? Well, the issue, of course, is the Word of God. Um, the, the, the bread, you would say, just, just to note, I don't know if I misstated it or not, the text says you shall not live by bread alone. It's, it's not trying to say bread is bad. Don't eat carbs. <laughs> it's saying that's not where life, you know, that's, that's not where the true life comes from. That's the physical life. But the word of God is, and, and this is what I like about this text, because it makes the word of God, even though we've had the emphasis that has been written, this text makes it lively. And the, the verb there, it's just kind of a cool verb because it, it's usually um, used of traveling or of walking or of going. So it, you could translate it, every word that travels out, that goes out of the mouth of God. Um, it's, just a, it's just a totally cool word because it makes it so lively. You see the mouth of God actually speaking the word. And then that word becomes, in the context of Israel and desert, that word becomes the manna which feeds them in both ways because they have to trust that tomorrow it's going to be there again. So they're trusting in God and his word that he's, he's promised. And of course the physical way it feeds their bodies. So it becomes the manna. And then in the revelation of Jesus, it becomes Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the word of God. And from his mouth to our mouth, um, uh, yeah, the poetry is awesome, right? The poetry is awesome. From his mouth to my mouth, I, I feed. And then, of course, it's, you know, like zero step. From his mouth to my mouth is Jesus himself in his body and his blood. Wow. 
Oh yeah. Don't you far? No, this is perfect. <laughs> I mean, the connections are everywhere and, and, and this is what I, I love about, about this is that the perspectives go deeper than the plain text and, and the plain text is what we have. Um, we're able to see the rest, as we say, scripture interprets scripture. How could you not end up with this reality? Jesus is the, I am the bread of life. And he says, and then yeah. from there, obviously you have the Lord's supper. So when you go there, it is in some ways, uh, not only fighting the devil, but also proclaiming that Christ has all the authority, you know, um, it's just a, another wonderful, uh, something to ponder as we pray before we receive that wonderful gift. Pastor, we're going to have to keep moving forward. Um, but anything yeah. else in those first four verses you want to highlight before we move on to the second temptation? I better stop because otherwise I don't, you're supposed to keep me on time. I'll talk away too much. <laughs> we're trying here. No, you talk away. Please talk away. Okay. We'll read now to the second temptation, verses five through seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. So the, the devil, okay, that one didn't work. Now he tries a different tactic in a different place. Uh, kind of break this down. What's happening. So the temple is, um, in the life of Israel, has been the place of, of, of the fortress, of safety, of protection, of God taking care. Um, and, uh, and sometimes they push that too far. You know, Jeremiah says, peace, peace, well, there is no peace because you think you've got the temple and the temple is going to save you and so on. Um, but the devil is aware of this, and so he uses the temple. Um, I'm not sure, you know, every translation translates it pinnacle or something like that. I just want to note that etymologically, that's a little wing. I mean, that's what the Greek word is. It's a little wing. I don't know if it's pushing it too far, but to suggest that under the shadow of his wings, mm. we find refuge. It might be too far, but there's something there that's really weird. I mean, it's a weird word um, why he put that. You know, he could have said up on the top of the temple or whatever, but there it is. Um, that, that's the Greek word, yeah. that little wing of the temple. Anyway, okay, go on. Uh, there's the, if you are, there's the doubt again, throw yourself down. So, okay. So then he, this is what's really cool. And this is why I say, look, um, the, the term, the Greek word, gegrapti, appears 67 times in the New Testament. Um, four of those times, uh, five of those times it appears in this text, which is, a huge percentage of the mm. number of times. So you've got to say something's going on here. And then you put it in the mouth of Satan and it's just jarring. Jesus said it has been written. Uh, and then again, later it has been written. And now we have uh, Satan saying it has been written. So, I mean, your red flags have to go up all over the place. What's going on here? Why would Satan quote or misquote, as we'll see, the word of God. So he knows Jesus is going to use the word of God as his defense because he is the word of God. So he thinks, yeah, well, I don't know for sure what he thinks. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try it too. Okay. So he goes to Psalm 91, which is pretty cool. Psalm is about, um, protection, um, 
safety, uh, God taking care of this character referred to in the psalm, is angels concerning you, <clears throat> which is what the temple is all about. And in the history of Israel, protection, care, God, uh, this is the fortress, okay? But what he leaves out is, so he quotes, he will command his angels concerning you, and then he leaves out to guard you in all your way. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, he's like saying, what the angels are going to do is just keep you from striking your foot against a stone, but they're not concerned about your faithfulness to the word of God, guard you in all your way. Which is it's striking that he would leave out that phrase. Of course he would leave out that phrase. Yeah. Because he doesn't want Jesus to be guarded in all his ways by the power of God's word. He wants Jesus to just think about, well, is God really going to provide for me? Is he really going to protect me? Is he really going to take care? We'll find out. Jump off the temple, right? So, uh, again, here's uh, the, the doubt about who Jesus is with respect to the, um, the following God's word. And it, so there is a kind of similar connection, again, Israel in the wilderness. Is God really going to protect us? Is God really going to take care of us? But it also is very revealing about Satan. Um, Jesus says of Satan, you might know this text, uh, uh, John eight forty four. Mm-hmm. This is one place where Jesus just pulls out all the stops. You are, you are your, he's talking to the Pharisees. You, you are your father, the devil, your will is to do his will. He is a murderer from the beginning. He is not telling, or he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So, um, there is no truth in Satan. He can quote the word of God, but he can only quote the word of God in order to tell a lie, which is uh, it's kind of mind boggling. He, he can quote the word of God, but he can't quote it as truth. He can only quote it as a lie. Thus he lies to Jesus. He's not guarding you in all your ways. He lies to Jesus just like he did to Adam and Eve and just like he does to me. Jesus and you and all of us, <laughs> Jesus is uh, not going to take care of us. He's not going to protect us. You're going to get, your your foot is going to get bruised, and not only your foot, but everything. Right? And this, You're going to get beat up. And this is where, I love how you highlighted that because I've never caught that, that he, it, kind of sounds true you're like well he's quoting the bible and so therefore it could be true now clearly jesus is not fooled but it shows you how much we can be fooled just by a few words that are conveniently left out why yeah for, for christians today why is it important that we always are uh well, i guess you say students of the word making sure that the word says what it actually says because of what we're seeing here by the work of Satan or work of the devil with Jesus and also with us. Any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. The connections are, are just rife in our particular day. We are absolutely um, immersed in misinformation, disinformation. We, we don't know where to turn. You know, we used to have institutions that we thought we could trust. Um, you know, government and, and uh, medicine and law and order. And it just seems like everything is turned on our head. I don't, 
I don't know if I'm being too strong here, but I think a lot of people will resonate with this. It, it just seems like everything's been kind of jumbled up and we don't, we don't know where to turn. We don't know where to find truth. And, uh, and texts like this remind us that the truth is Jesus. The truth is his word. And it is the foundation for not only life in this world, but for life eternal. And all it takes is a few words um, to make a completely different meaning. And that's what we're seeing. It is written is the main focus. So then, then Jesus yeah. responds. You know, he's, he's using my own word against me. As you've, you've had that happen sometimes as a parent, like, oh, shoot, my kids remembered what I said. <laughs> um, but here it's the devil. So his goal is, is much worse. Um, and, and Jesus responds. How does Jesus respond? So, again, he quotes. This time he's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, uh, and he says, uh, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, actually, it's just a future. Um, the EFV wants to translate into sort of an imperative. Um, and as an imperative, it sort of makes it like something we have to do. It's actually a promise. That is that God is at work through his word. Um, it, it is written, you will not put the Lord your God to the test. Um, people of God, that's not what we do. And the spirit of God is always at work in us not to test the Lord. But what's really cool is this Deuteronomy 6 context. Um, just, uh, what is it? It's Deuteronomy 6, 4. So it's, uh, I'm not good at math, 12 verses <laughs> proceeding. This is the great Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is, is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, so here we are kind of following up and this, so there's this great promise. Your, your, your God is one. He's with you. And now it's, you will not put him to the test. God is at work in you. You are his people. This is, goes to identity. This is what the word does. It establishes not only the identity of Jesus, but it establishes our identity. We are the people of God through faith in Jesus. This is what the spirit of God is working in us. We don't throw ourselves off the temple. We trust him. We believe in him. And it's amazing how not, people, not because we do it in ourselves, but because Jesus has done it already for us. Right. And, and it flips it on this head. You say, well, if you really believe, you know, believe in the Lord, you'll just jump off because he'll take care of you. Right. And that's kind of how people yeah. will use it. But you, like you said, this is a promise of, um, that the, 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 the promise is way different than that. So any, any thoughts on that dichotomy? I mean, it's interesting how, um, it flips it on its head where sometimes we talk. And that way, when the reality is, it's the other way. I don't know. Any thoughts on, on that reality for us? Well, I, I, you know, I'm just put in the context. This is what Satan does, right? I mean, he wants to, to use God's word against us. And so we, we do have to recognize that um, when, when, we, uh, when we want to put God to the test, uh, to just kind of see, well, we put ourselves in the center. We put ourselves in the, you know, sort of in the crosshairs. This is, we are the ones who are doing the work and, and that's not, that's never the case. Mm. It's never the case. The case is always that Jesus has done it. So when you read it as promise, you will not put the Lord your God to the test. It's not talking about our moral fortitude. It's talking about Jesus is the one who has fulfilled this for us. He is the one who doesn't put God to the test. He is the one who doesn't, act or live or speak contrary to the word of God. And in him, 
we find our salvation so that we don't put God to the test. So, Pastor, as we move forward, is there anything else you want to highlight in the first seven verses of Matthew chapter 4? I think I'm not paying attention to the time at all. So, brother, you're... <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving. Verses okay. 8, and uh, we'll go 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I want to make one highlight of, of something that we've seen already as a theme, and the theme is the idea of kingdom. The reign of God has come. The reign is still here, and the reign of God is still coming. And, and here we have that word kingdom, so I think it's significant. that He takes them to the highest mountain and says, here is all these kingdoms, and they can be yours. And so he's definitely showing us, because we've seen this with King Herod, is obviously different than the kingly rule of Jesus, and we're seeing that even today that the kingly rule of the devil is different than the kingly rule of Jesus. So what is, what is the devil doing in, in here with his, quote, kingdom that he proclaims? Yeah, this is, this is a marvelous uh, text. Um, see if I can get it all out at once. <laughs> so, um, so he's on top of this mountain, wherever that might be. I don't know if that's you know, an actual mountain or a figurative mountain, but, but he sees it all. And, and Luke is instructive, I think, because it says, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and then he just adds this little stigma, um, uh, stigma um, uh, in a moment of time, in a moment of time. So it's not like he's looking out over, over he's trying to explain how it happened. He's not looking out over, he sees the whole world from the top of that mountain, but he sees it in a moment of time, Satan just shoes it all, or shoes it all around the world, sees the kingdoms and their glory. So that's significant, right? It, 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 and their glory. Um, so what are, what are these kingdoms of the world and their glory, the things uh, that this world might make? Surely that's a temptation. Um, um, for us, they come across as power in the United States of America. I don't know if you have probably listeners outside the, mm -hmm. the country, but in the United States of America, we're used to regularly saying, one of the most powerful nation in the world, the most powerful kingdom in the world. And at which point we're actually bringing ourselves up against the kingdom of God in terms of power and glory. Right. But anyway, so for the life of Jesus, um, this idea, the idea here is the path that God is setting before you in his word is not one of power and glory in this world. Is that really what you want? And isn't that the same for each one of us? <laughs> you know, to be a Christian in this world, particularly in 21st century America, is not going to be one of glory or of power. In fact, um, I'm not prophesying here, so I'm just predicting this is word of forking that would have gone. But <laughs> it's going to get worse. It's going to get more difficult for, for Christians. And there will be plenty of people, or there already are. I mean, we've seen this for quite a while now. Plenty of people who say, if there's not going to be some glory in this, I'm out. And thus the church is getting smaller and smaller. 
there's not going to be some power in this. I'm, I'm gone. Um, so it's a huge temptation. It's a, it's a, uh, it's an everlasting temptation that Satan sets before Jesus and before us. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, like I said, this has really been very enriching, uh, very, um, fruitful as I look at this is how tempting it is and how easy it is for us to, well, you said at the beginning, do I believe the word of God? And do I believe what's happening in the worship service to be the word of God? Or do I see it as kind of a competition to another entertainment value or venue or sporting event? Do I kind of see it as, well, it's kind of all in the same plane. And then you add to it. So that's one thing like that. That's, I think that's just one temptation that we would have in our world today, which I think relates to the first two. And then this last one just steps it up a notch because the question then is, do you want the power of the world or do you want the power of his word? And do you want, you know, do you want God's word? You know, and just, and it really, that makes it hard. I mean, this is hard in my own heart. Because I want influence, I want recognition, I want a place at the table. And Jesus, they're kind of offering Jesus that. You can have everything in this world. One, it's not Satan's to give, but yet, yeah. you know, he'll he'll gladly take it if given it to him. And now that's what where our dichotomy is. Do I want the power of God's word or do I want the power of this world? And man, man, I'm I'm tempted by the power of the world. This is yeah, good thing I'm not standing there at the mountain, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I would, I would just add, well, two things. First, I forgot to make the connection to Israel. Sure. Okay. Israel in the desert, ready to go into, we'll just say, ready to go into the promised land. What are they thinking? Now we're going to get our kingdom. Yeah. Now we're going to get, now we're going to have power. Now we're going to have glory. All this time we've been, 400 years we've been slaves. 40 years we've been in the desert, miserable food, and no water and clothes wearing out. And now we're going to get our kingdom. You've got to imagine that's exactly what this is about. Power, glory. And Israel and, and Jesus is so the same place, right? And then I, I would just say in Luke's presentation, the devil does say, "For uh, these kingdoms of the world, for they have been given to me, and I can give them to whoever I want." Uh-huh. So, so in a sense, he is the prince of the world. Sure, he okay. can give. Okay, sure. He can give power and glory. He can, hmm. and it's a it's it's horrific, but a lot of hearts have been captured. That's why the Bible says that, that money is the root of all evils, because Satan will use that power, glory, money to, to you know, lure us away from the truth of God's word. Now I have now I have to think back on that once again, um, because it does say he's the ruler of this world. Mm-hmm. Mm, John chapter 12. So I'm I'm trying to think so he can give this kind of authority. Um, but it's the thing about it is like you said, at the beginning, the goal is that you have this authority apart from God. I mean, this is a separate glory apart from God and that's not good. It's a a lie. It's (laughs) It's a a lie. lie. Yeah. That part's the lie, but he does have that rule and authority. Oh Lord have mercy. I, oh boy. Yeah. We need to, uh, we need to, I need to repent. Let's repent. I think this is good. Um, so he says, uh, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only shall you serve, which is from Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, any, any context you want to highlight on that? I found that to be, 
Yeah. Uh, but before I get there, oh, okay. I don't know how I'm doing on time. We're doing good. We I have, have five, five minutes left. Okay. So I have to do this. Um, be gone, Satan. This oh, is striking. Yep. It yep. changes the name. Okay. So we had uh, verse one, devil. Verse three, tempter, just to connect the, the one who is the one who's doing the testing. The tempter is the devil. So verse one, te- devil. Verse three, tempter. Verse five, devil. Verse uh, eight, devil. Verse 10, Satan. Now, why did Jesus change uh, the direction of his, uh, the appellation, the name that he gifted to him? Um, I, I'm, I don't know for sure, but it's, it is striking. It is. And I would think I would say um, Satan is usually translated something like uh, adversary or accuser. Um, devil is the um, uh, deluder. Uh, so now your accusations are done. Now that is that is extremely important because the temptations are accusations. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The temptations become accusations. You haven't done according to God's word, and so um, so He says now Jesus is able to say, uh, and and this is an imperative. He, he, uh, it's a command: be gone, go away, accuser. Your accusations have failed. Why? Not because of um, my strength, but because of the Word of God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. <clears throat> um, again, from Deuteronomy, and it's the same context as the previous one, Deuteronomy chapter 6. People of Israel sort of recounting um, uh, uh, the working of God in their lives. And um, this uh, it does again, um, the ESV does again turn it into an imperative, you shall, um, but it actually just the future. And I, I do believe it should be read as a promise. You will worship the Lord your God and him only um, will you, there's, that's the future also, him only will you serve. Um, God's word is at work in his people and he makes the word of God a reality. So since I got five minutes, let me do my, <laughs> what I want to do on that last uh, 11. Um, <laughs> well, let me so, read, let me so, read verse 11 oh, quick and sorry. let's do this. Yep, yep. Then the devil left him and behold, Angels came and were ministering to him. We have two minutes left here, Pastor. Go for it. Okay. All right. So the, de- the devil leaves him. Like Israel, following the testing, Jesus is now ready to enter into the promised land. Uh-huh. And the promised land is for, for the people of Israel uh, full of milk and honey. When you think about the promised land of, of beginning his ministry, because that's the very next thing, both in Luke well, in, in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and in John too, but we don't have time to talk about John. Um, um, the, the, his ministry is the promised land. It's full of milk and honey, but not the way we would expect it. He, is, he suffers a great deal, but the milk and honey, and now I'm doing my poetry, but I love it. The milk and honey is, it's full of salvation. This is the end of, of, the, of the, the promised land that Jesus enters into. It's our salvation is the milk and honey for which he works. It's not the glory of the kingdom. It's not the power. It's the salvation. That's why God sent him. This is what he has revealed to us. In, uh, at, this is who he has revealed to us. As the word of God who comes to work our salvation through the promises of that word in my life and in yours. Pastor Terry Forkey, District President of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, giving us God's strong word, and boy, was it strong, from Matthew chapter 4. Pastor Forkey, thank you for the gifts. 
No, it's great fun. I'm really happy to be with you. Let's see. Same to you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.